0: Please be seated. I want to begin a new series with you this morning. Partly because uh, it's May, we're going into the summer, and people are apt to travel and take advantage of school being out. So I wanted to do something that would stand week to week by itself so you wouldn't have to try to catch up when you came back. And so we're going to begin a, a study of John 17 called the High Priestly Prayer. You'll find an outline on page 6, and you can turn in your Bibles to John 17. While you're doing that, let me mention something. Uh, uh, a pastoral attire is also always a good topic. Uh, I dressed cool this morning. Uh, let me tell you why. You might have noticed last uh, Sunday it got a little warm in here. And we found out afterwards there are uh, three air conditioning units out there, a lot of cubic feet in here. And uh, one was replaced two or three years ago, and now the other two are trying to give up the ghost. (laughs) Uh, Now, that's not surprising. This building is what, 15 years old? And, um, you know, I've got, uh, I'm wearing glasses to help my eyes, and I have a new hip. My left hip is a replacement, and uh, it'll, it'll outlive me. And uh, so it's not surprising as a building ages, it starts needing those things. In fact, when I went through some training about uh, church management, they pointed out that it's a wise idea for a church to put aside 5% of its budget every year for building maintenance. Now, 20 years times 5% is what? 100%. The idea was that, you know, in 20 years, you, you're going to replace a lot of stuff, roof, roof. Uh, Parking lot, you've already done the parking lot, haven't you? Had that resurfaced, and now these air conditioning units, there are two of them, uh, and the deacons are working on that now, getting several estimates and several suggestions, can we repair it? They asked me to lay hands on it, but like, we, like I said last week, I'm not an <laughs> apostle, <laughs> I can't do that, and uh, and they're about around 20,000 each. So uh, we have a fund for that, but that fund, even if we use some of it, needs replenishment. So different people respond to different things. So if it turns your crank, if you appreciate the idea of keeping the facility and you want to help keep that fun good so we can do what we need to do with those air conditioning units and you don't want to see people see you publicly sweat. <laughs> John 17. This is called the high priestly prayer because God, uh, Jesus the Son, is praying to his Father. It's not the Gethsemane prayer where Jesus says it were sweat drops of blood and said, "Father, if possible, take this cup from me, but your will be done." It's not the upper room where he gave all that teaching in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Once they finished the upper room discourse, and once they finished the first Lord's Supper, and were they on their way to Gethsemane, in that transit, they paused before Jesus entered the garden. He prays this prayer. One of the longest prayers in Scripture, I think it is the longest, Uh, the son is praying to his father. He's looking back on his life. He's looking forward to what's coming, and he sums up everything in a most remarkable passage of Scripture. Uh, In fact, it's a private prayer. It's between the son and the father. And the question, as the weeks go by, I'll give you some more information about the history of this prayer. But the question uh, can arise, well, what right do we have to eavesdrop? But over in um, verse 20 of John 17, Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. He's praying for his apostles. I also pray for those who will believe in me, through their message. That's you, and that's me. Across the Mediterranean Sea, across the Atlantic Ocean, into Greece and Italy and France and England and Scotland and Ireland, and to this country came the gospel. And it's all one long progression. So that he was praying for you and me, those who believe through the apostles. So he's praying for us. And so that's kind of our ticket to eavesdrop on this prayer. In fact, later on I'll show you, he says, Father, I say these things. He prayed out loud so that his apostles could hear and through the work of the Holy Spirit recall and then record them for our benefit. We're going to take it verse by verse. Uh, Sometimes we take whole sections of Scripture. I want to share with you at some point about some characters in Scripture, and we'll cover whole chapters in one fell swoop. But here we're going to go verse by verse because it takes time to stop and say, What is the Savior praying? He's the captain of our soul, He's the bright and morning star, He's the Alpha and the Omega, the A and the Z. He is our Savior and our Lord and our king, and we most earnestly desire to hear what is on his heart as he comes before his Father. And this is the first thing he says in John 17, chapter 1, after Jesus said these things, he looked toward heaven, is it's that interesting, we're used to bowing our head when we pray, he looked up to his father and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Three things here. First of all, a relationship. Secondly, a recognition. And third, a request. Um, and I want to say at the beginning here, it reminds me, I first was directed to John 17 by a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at First Covenant Church, and he uh, held a Wednesday morning citywide Bible study, and I went down there and uh, participated. And that took some of my people because he was a great teacher, and he was doing a series on John 17. So I got the tapes and I listened to them ten or fifteen times. Now that was thirty years ago, so he wouldn't recognize. <laughs> what I'm going to share with you, so he isn't to blame. And uh, neither was he Reformed or Presbyterian. Uh, But that's how I got started. And uh, I I give credit to him for uh, alerting me and the way he approached this passage. First of all, a relationship. He says, Father. Now, that was unusual because in the religions of the time and the religions presently on the face of the earth, There is not a filial relationship between the uh, observer and their God. Certainly not Allah. Allah doesn't have emotions. He doesn't have passions. He doesn't have anything. Uh, He is characterless. And that's why so often a Muslim will pray for uh, the mercy of Allah. And you can never know how Allah will react because he's not predictable. He may or may not extend mercy. In fact that's why the only sure way to make sure you get mercy from Allah is to blow yourself up killing infidels in a jihad and that's why they're so willing to do it they're so desirous of receiving assurance but here comes Jesus and he calls his God father a filial close relationship and It must be noted that there is some truth to that. We talk about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, don't we? Because God created Adam and Eve, and from them came the whole human race. So as he is creator, as he is the originator, he's the father. He brought us, our race, into being. And on that basis, all human beings have a brotherhood because they have one father. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a fetal relationship that he can turn his face to heaven and say, Abba, Father. Now, the reason that is important, because in Romans chapter 5, uh, the first 11 verses, there is a description of human beings when they are born and in their relationship to God. Uh, As Rick Sandon youth director, was pointing out, and I love the line, everybody has a relationship, everybody on the earth has a relationship with God. Just for a lot of people, it's not good. (laughs) Well, let me show you how it can be good. This is what it says um, down here, um, beginning at verse, uh, Romans 5, 6. At just the right time, when you were still powerless, okay, write that down, Human beings are powerless to save themselves. Christ died for the ungodly. Number two, human beings are ungodly. And since God is godly, that's not like saying we're dirty and he's clean. And usually clean people don't like dirty people around. I saw a lady just uh, got kicked off a plane, her and her family, because uh, she had a pungent odor, the complainer said. And so dirty people don't like, I don't know whether it was or not, but uh, if I complained, they'd never put anybody off the plane, they'd put me off. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in this, why we were still sinners. Well, we were powerless, ungodly, and sinners. A sinner is someone who breaks God's law, either actively or passively, either not keeping it, or actively breaking it. Uh, sin is, it is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of God's law. Where did I get that? Where did I get that? Does anyone know? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, a definition of sin. And it has nothing to do with, with uh, particulars like stealing or killing. It's just God's law lack of conformity unto, or transgression of the law of God. So if anyone ever asks you, well, what is sin? Well, there's one sentence that sums it up. So we're sinners. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? So (laughs) we're not only powerless, ungodly sinners, we are under the wrath of God. In other words, he's angry at us. It's just not being dirty and pungent. It's being enemies of God because we are rebels, and therefore we are under his wrath. For if when we were God's enemies, and that about sums it up. So you see, the mass of humanity can't call God Father, not with these descriptors. So there is a fatherhood of God, and there is a brotherhood of man. We acknowledge it. But there's not a relationship because these five things we're enemies under God's wrath. And there's only one way, well, there's two ways to get out from under it. Number one, don't ever transgress God's law, either by passive or actively breaking it. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and neighbor yourself. Always keep the law in your mind and your heart and your acts. Well, we're born sinful, so there's no hope. You can't go back and undo. So that way doesn't work for many human beings. In fact, for none. But one person came and kept the law, it's called active obedience, all of his life. He never did anything except God wanted him to do. And therefore he became the perfect sacrifice. And then he passively laid down his life. And this is what it says. Um, How much more, if we were justified by his blood while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. So you see, when He says Father, He's laying it out. He's saying God is relational, God is personal. See, that's theism, not atheism, not polytheism. Uh, That's theism. God is personal, He can be known. But there is a wall between every human being and God because of those five things in our lives. But there is a way through the death of Jesus Christ to be reconciled to God. So when he says, Father, every human being has the opportunity to receive that sacrifice, if they would, and be reconciled to God. Every human being can have a father who is a personal God. He wants, he seeks that relationship. Well, let's go on. There is the, um, a relationship. Now, there's a recognition. He says here, Father, the hour has come. Some translations say time. Uh, literally, it's hour. What's the deal here? Seven times in the Gospel of John... Jesus refers to the hour. First of all, let me say, not only is God personal, he's purposeful. If the time is laid out in specific segments, certain times, certain hours, that means he has a purpose for his hours. And to make them happen according to his purpose, he has to be powerful. So our God is personal, purposeful, and powerful. You'll hear more of that because that's what we have to share with the world. Jesus in John 2, 4 uh, his mother wanted him to turn to do something about running out of wine he said woman what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. John seven thirty. they were seeking to seize him and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus answered them in John 12, 23, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You see the progression through his life, 33 years. The hour has not come. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Not only does God have a purpose for each of us and a time frame, we can discover it and we can know what is our purpose in life and how do we fulfill it that's the question that we have to answer in a lifetime but jesus answered them saying the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified john 12:23 john 12:27 now my soul has become troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour But for this purpose, I came to this hour. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. God is not only purposeful, uh, excuse me, personal, he's purposeful. He has a time and a plan. And Jesus neither rushed to that hour nor did he run from it. He knew it was coming. And I want to tell you, think what happened when he lifted up his face to heaven and says, Father, the hour has come. Prophets longed to look into what is that hour. Demons under Satan's emissaries being sent were keeping an eye on everything Jesus did trying to figure out what is he doing. And when he said, the hour has come, they trembled and so did the foundations of hell. I mean, angels had been attending him. They were there when he was born. And they had been watching what's going on. What is the plan? How is this going to be fulfilled? And when he said, the hour has come, Father, the word went throughout tens of thousands of angels It's come. After thousands of years and prophets, it's come. The hour is here. Be on the alert. Lift the guard. Be ready. They thought they were going to battle. But there was another plan that even they didn't know about, and neither did Satan. And only the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit knew it. It had been prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament Isaiah 53, the Lamb of God. It had been pictured. But we in our darkened minds and hard hearts, and the apostles included, didn't understand it. Jesus, are you returning the kingdom? Are you kicking out the Romans and setting up an earthly kingdom? Is is this what's going to happen? If so, let me and my brother be on the thrones to your left and right. No one got it. Who can imagine it? In Ephesians, Paul says, it's so great a plan that no one figured it out. And Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. And history held its breath of what was going to happen the next three days. And the angels were shocked. Satan was dumbfounded. And the angels, the angels are still amazed and that's why we gather every Sabbath the Lord's people and the Lord's house on the Lord's day to do what? Glorify God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for His plan, His purpose, and that it included all who will accept Christ as their Savior. Freely. To many as received, and to them He gave the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on His name. What a story. You come back when we get to John 17, verse 5. And we'll go into this a little bit more. The greatest story ever told. But we got three or four weeks before we get there. The hour has come. Folks, he has a plan and a purpose. And his power will fulfill it in our lives. We know what it is to glorify him. It's like wedding vows in wealth or poverty, in sickness or in health, in success or failure, in health or illness, in living or dying. What's our purpose? To glorify God. And He's powerful enough and purposeful enough that He will accomplish His purpose. So if you want to get on the bottom floor, if you want a stock that's going to take off, make your life's purpose to glorify God, and you will always be successful. You will always win because he will always be glorified, even if his son had to die to do it. So do we think that we're better than the son? Sometimes it's riches and sometimes it's poverty, sometimes health, sometimes sickness, sometimes joy and sometimes grief and pain. But in all those things, give thanks, for this is God's will for your life. Because he has a plan and a purpose, and he has the power to make it happen. And so we can carry our sorrows on a flood tide of joy because we know how the story ends. Now let's go on. A relationship, a recognition, And now a request. Okay, here's Jesus. The hour has come. What's the one thing on his heart? What comes out on his lips? Glorify the Son so that the Son may glorify you, the Father. You see, that's why glorifying God is our purpose in life, because that was our, our Savior's purpose. And what's on his heart is on our heart. What is his purpose is our purpose. So we want to know what this means. We'll continue to talk about glory. It occurs seven times in this high priestly prayer. But let's begin. What is glory? It's a word that means weight, heavy. You know, who's the heavy in this deal who's the boss you remember what was that movie jurassic park and these people and these two kids are in these two jeeps and they're sitting there and there's a glass of water and that glass of water shakes a little like california it shakes a little and one person he looks at it and he's shaking and then they hear (laughs) you remember the movie it was a tyrannosaurus rex And he was big, and he's heavy. He's the ruler in this situation. And they try to outrun him in a Jeep, and one guy runs into a toilet. You remember all that? (laughs) Now, that's where glory, heaviness, weight, strength, mass, significance. And here we use it, when we say glory, We mean the summation of the multifaceted, like a diamond, character of God. His omniscience, His omnipotence, His omnipresence, His grace, His mercy, His holiness. All those things together we call His glory. This is how one pastor, Sam, storms. The term glory refers to the visible splendor, or moral beauty of God's manifold perfections the glory of god is the exhibition the exhibition of his inherent excellence it is the external manifestation of his internal majesty therefore to glorify god is to declare draw attention and publicly announce and advertise his glory now that's what we did this morning we started worship of he is worthy And then we sang his praises. And then we prayed. And then we gave tithes and offerings. All those things, each is a facet. Each is something that we as human beings do to glorify God. To bring attention to his glory. You know, the favorite line of a Christian is, did you see that? In fact, what's the the famous last words of a redneck? The famous last words of a redneck. One more beer? No. <laughs> Pass the jug. The famous last words of a redneck. Y'all watch this. I've been there. Let's jump off this. Let's jump off this bridge down there in the water. It's hot. Aren't there some rocks down there? No, you can't see them. Y'all watch this. You think I can beat that train in this car? You think I'm fast enough I wouldn't risk it y'all watch this but see that's Christians they're kind of like watch this let me tell you a story let me tell you about who God is and what God does and then let me tell you what he's done in my life and what he's done in mine. he can do in yours y'all watch this glory glory that's what Jesus is requesting Glorify the Son that the Son may glorify the Father. So let me ask you let's go back. A relationship. Everybody has a relationship with God. How's yours? Are you still back there on those five characteristics, or have you latched on to Christ and been reconciled to God so you can call him Father? You can if you ask God to give you the grace of repentance. Start there. How about a recognition? Are you seeking, are you teaching the children, be on the lookout for the markers of what God's plan for your life is? One of the reasons I'm here as a purposeful interim is to help us review and project What's the purpose of this church for the next year, five years, and ten years, and what kind of pastor do we need to lead us there? And finally, what's your request? I uh, work, my wife and I, Sandy, work as campus staff members with Campus Crusade for Christ crew, and we got to know uh, Bill Bright pretty well. And... He, it was his, he always had a young man travel with him. You know, kind of a valet, but there was a get to get us to the plane, but one of the reasons was to tr- disciple him, but it was also to make sure there was always someone there to witness where he was and what he was doing. And one of them was on a, our church staff when I was in North Carolina. He spent a year doing that. And I said, how did your day begin? Bill Bright always got up hit the floor on his knees and said, Lord, let me glorify you today. What makes your heart burn? What are you focused on? What is your desire day in and day out? If you're following Jesus, it's to glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify the Father. That's what we'd ask ourselves individually and corporately. Lord, how do we glorify you? Let us find some ways. See, we found our life purpose. We have found our eternal purpose. Because when we get to heaven, we won't be having on Saturday a food giveaway to glorify God because there'll be no hunger. You know, we won't have mercy ministry to help people because there will be no poor. What will we be doing in heaven? Glorifying, singing the praises of the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. This is practice. Tune up your voices. Get ready. We do it the best we can here. And it sounds pretty good in this beautiful sanctuary. When we get to heaven... Some of you are going to be able to sing. <laughs> the reason I know is I see many of you singing without moving your lips. I'm impressed. <laughs> but you don't want to let it be known. I understand. I'm the same way. I told those guys in the back, make sure my white mic is turned off when I sing. <laughs> we're going to be able to sing and praise Him. And that's what we're doing. A relationship. God, our Father. Our Father. A a, a recognition this is the hour we've only got one life and this is our request may you be glorified let's pray together Father once again through this remarkable entry into the privacy of a prayer our Savior has given us the example give us the grace to have you As our Father, give us a recognition of the time. Give us, Father, the desire and means to glorify you. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together. Music is on page six. Lord, be glorified.